Hello, 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 and welcome to the 10th episode of Mixed Media Reviews. My name is Kelsey, and today I'll be talking about a book. This week's book is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. I had seen this book pop up a lot on Instagram, Reddit, all the social medias. I was a bit hesitant, but the cover is just so gorgeous. I had absolutely no idea what it was about, just that it was a young adult novel, which is definitely my bread and butter. The cover has warm yellows, blues, and oranges, has a woman's profile that mirrors itself with the sun behind their faces and a fire below them. Bird heads and wings grow out of the fire and connect to the faces. It's quite stunning and definitely draws you in to look at all the other details. Between the words of the title, it reads, keep the secret, live the lie, earn your truth. Definitely brings you in. This one's going to contain some minor spoilers, but I'll try to keep any major plot point secret, or at least no more informative than the back of the book, or inside of the cover, if you have a hardback like mine. And as I keep saying, <laughs> apologies in advance if my mouth still can't say words. And that applies to regular English words that I should know but still stumble on. Donna Fontaine was supposed to start fresh after graduating high school and starting college. Never quite fitting in, she was too white for her native family and community, and too native for her white family and community. But when she witnesses a murder, she gets thrown into an FBI investigation. Oh, my cat just came to say hello. Hi, say hi, Miles. Uh, when she witnesses a murder, she gets thrown into an FBI investigation. An investigation that seems to be more focused on punishing the bad guys than it does on protecting the community and the victims. As she continues to... <laughs> Sorry, he's falling everywhere. Um, okay, anyway, where was I? Um, as she continues to do undercover work for the FBI, she begins to blur the line between helping her community and harming it. Can she be a strong Anish Nabe Kwe, which is an Ojibwe woman, or will she end up letting down both of her communities? There are some trigger warnings for this book, specifically for sexual assault, but it can be extended to drug abuse, racism, abuse, suicide, and violence. I wouldn't say that the book is overly descriptive in any of those, but it does go into some detail about pretty much all of that. I won't go into a lot of detail myself in this episode, but I will bring most of them up in some fashion. Also, just in case, there's a lot of background noise. Uh, I am filming with my heater on because it is very cold <laughs> in our house, um, so sorry if there's tons of background noise. I did move my mic a little bit, which seems to be helping, but who knows. There were so many things that I liked about this book. I loved it so much. If you follow me on my personal social media, you'll know that I absolutely raved about it. It has become one of my favorite reads of this year very easily, even though I know it's now just barely February, um, but I'd even put it above a majority of what I read in 2021, or the majority of things I've just read, period. And that's saying a lot. Uh, I typically read a lot of young adult some may argue that this book is actually new adult, which could be true, but whatever. Um, but normally the young adult I read is fantasy or young adult science fiction. 
While I have been branching out more recently in what I've been reading to include more thrillers or contemporary fiction, or even a splash of romance, I still gravitate towards the fantasy and science fiction. Pure contemporary fiction, even in young adult, isn't something I read much, and it's not something I typically fall in love with. Firekeeper's Daughter wouldn't be seen as contemporary fiction since it's got a lot of the thriller or murder mystery in it, but it also has some big themes that I think are more common in contemporary and aren't really addressed in something like thrillers or mystery type of novels. At least not in what I've read, which I admit is a much smaller sample size. I really liked how the book was broken into four parts, each a cardinal direction. I also enjoyed her writing style. For a debut book, I think it was pretty well done. It didn't seem to have those faults we tend to attribute to first-time writers, like overly flowery language, lack of or too much detailing, or the overuse of descriptive dialogue tags, the he said, she yelled, they screamed type of words. Her editor also seemed great in that I don't really recall any missed words or punctuation or doubles that can sometimes get lost in rewrites or edits. There certainly could have been, but nothing that stuck out that I can remember. There was this quote from a character that stuck with me. Wisdom is not bestowed. In its raw state, it is the heartbreak of knowing things that you wish you didn't. In the moment, this is really big for Donis. She is learning about something that was previously kept from her, but I feel that its impact reaches so much further than that and it really resonated with me. Her aunt is sharing with Donis as well as the reader that sometimes it really is better to not know, that wisdom isn't always something to strive for, that wisdom can come from places you wish you didn't go. The wisdom her elders gained from the US government taking their children the wisdom gained from learning the history of her ancestors, the wisdom she gains when being let into a previously closed off world. Another thing I loved about this book was learning about another culture. I love in general learning about other cultures and communities and lifestyles. That's why I like to read. That's why I like to watch a lot of movies and TV shows that are not always set in my version of America. Learning about the Ojibwe was really great. Not only did I learn a lot through Donis's eyes, but I also looked up more on my own to understand more about what was going on and where the story was taking place. I liked learning about some of their traditions and their language, and we learned more about their history, which is something I don't know a lot about since schools tend to shy away from the atrocities that we as a nation commit. On a side note, it was also interesting to see that the Ojibwe have stories around what they call little people, which are well, small people, smaller than children, that dwell in the forest and can cause mischief but also help people. I have done some work in my job for a tribe in Texas called the Alabama Cachada. I did a lot of research when I was helping to design a building for them, and they too have stories about the little people. To me, it was interesting to see that there are some things that recur in different cultures, and I'd love to see more books from different tribes, since reading one doesn't depict the entirety of the native experience. And again, I like learning this stuff. Uh, whether it's a fictional society in a sci-fi or a very real society in our own world. There are a lot of topics in this book that I think transcend across a lot of cultures and communities. 
and not just the stories in the culture. The idea that there is a color spectrum of what is or isn't acceptable within and outside the community is definitely one of those. Donna had very light skin and felt like an outsider within her Ojibwe community, but also felt like she didn't quite belong with her white French-Canadian side either. They talk about how their tribal community is allowed to cross over into Canada because they were there before the border. So they don't have the same requirements I would have to cross the border. But the more visibly niche, as Donna's puts it, you are, the more likely you'll get stopped and questioned. So the lighter skin you have, like Donna's, the more likely you can pass through without too much hassle. The same thing happens in many other races and identities. The more you lean one way, the more you're accepted within that group. And the more you lean the other way, the more you're accepted in the other group. On a super basic level, I even experienced this. In Jewish tradition, the mother is the one who passes it to her children. Growing up with a Jewish father and a non-Jewish mother meant that I always felt like I wasn't really Jewish, while being plenty Jewish for anyone outside of that culture. While of course not the same thing, since this is more something you can't just tell looking at me, unlike skin color, it is something that makes me feel like I straddle two worlds without fully being in them. And that's something that I think a lot of people can relate to. Another thing that transcends across a lot of cultures and communities is the feeling of failure of your country to do right by your people. For the Ojibwe and a lot of other native communities, that is the drug epidemic, as well as alcoholism. And of course, this is also true for many other people in America, the failure of our government to do something to help a community that is struggling. That is true universally across the world. And for Donis, this is the meth addiction that is devouring her community and the FBI coming in to punish those who are responsible without doing anything to help the victims. And this is a very common theme throughout the book of her struggling to do right by her community while feeling like the FBI isn't really going to 100% help her with that goal. This is also true when it comes to the sexual assault and missing women in many tribal communities. Sexual assault and missing women isn't only happening in those communities, but something that is happening throughout the world, especially in marginalized communities. Writing a story to reflect real problems within her community and that are so relatable is something Angeline Bully does really well throughout. And she does it for topics that, for me, I knew little about or rather things that I was aware of, but didn't know the specifics of. I knew violence against native women was a very big problem with rates as high as 10 times the national average and that there are a lot of missing women from those communities. But what I didn't know was the jurisdictional nightmare that basically means that nothing ever gets investigated or pursued. When a crime happens on tribal land and the victim is a tribal member, the federal government decides whether or not to press charges. So that means a lot of cases are just dropped or not even thought about. So when a non-native sexually assaults a native woman on tribal land, nothing happens. The FBI will most likely not press charges and the native police can't go after a non-tribal member. It's all ridiculous and yet completely true and it is 
it just made me so furious. Women have then created their own form of justice. And that just isn't fiction in a book, it's reality for many women, both native and non-native. Once again, this just goes back to Donis's thoughts early in the book. The FBI is there to find the drug dealers, not help the victims or the community. So of course the FBI goes after all those responsible in the meth ring, but then completely ignores anything else that happens to the native women involved. I could feel the frustration lift off of these pages. Building on that, I feel she did a really good job figuring out the intricacies of how everything works, from law enforcement to the culture to the issues. I'm no expert in any of those things, but I don't recall any times where I thought it seemed a bit far-fetched. She definitely did her research, and working in the government job she's had, I'm sure, helped her a bit as well. And probably also because it took her 10 years to write, so she probably had plenty of time to think about and research all of the aspects in the book. I really liked the bridge between chemistry and the Ojibwe medicine that Donis was studying. I thought it was really fascinating, especially when seen through the eyes of someone who appreciates both tradition and science. I like the way she connected them and made them both feel tangible, if that makes sense. I like that this was Donis's connection to her uncle and that she tried to follow what he taught her. It was her way of feeling connected to him while also trying to help her community. She could actually use what he taught her to help benefit that community in a very real way. Without going into too much spoilery detail, I will say that I think the romance part of it was done pretty well. I think there were parts of it that maybe seemed a little cheesy or perhaps too fast, but I also think that being young can sometimes speed up relationships and perhaps make them feel larger than maybe you would feel a few years after that. Um, but I also know that sometimes relationships can go quickly and they are solid. But after reading the entire book and taking the entire story into account, I think how she does it is is pretty good. <laughs> it's hard to explain without saying the exact things that I would like to talk about, but I'd much rather people read the book and discover it on their own than me to say it right now, so I will hold back. But I thought it was done fairly well, and maybe not a typical romance that you would get in a more romance-driven novel. Which is maybe why I liked it, because I'm not one to read romance. Strictly romance, at least. I did really like Donis as a character. I thought she was a pretty strong lead um, and narrator throughout the whole book. I saw a critique somewhere online that said that Donis was a not-like-other-girls character, but I didn't get that at all. One point they made was that it's because she was into hockey and played hockey that she was this not like other girls because she plays hockey with the boys. But, I mean, who isn't in love with hockey and that into hockey? 
in that part of the United States and Canada. That doesn't mean that she's a not like other girls type if she likes a sport. Um, and then another point they made was that it was because she doesn't want to date the hockey players and be like the girls that follow them around. Which, I mean, sure, but that also seems like a pretty solid idea to not date teammates. And also, as a teenager, even a recently graduated one, it's totally normal to judge groups of people without actually knowing them. The critique also brought up that she hated those girls that followed them around, called them anglerfish, but that they continued to be horrible and Donis never gained anything from it. Except that wasn't true. Donis does have an arc with him where she discovers that some of them aren't that bad. They're actually kind of nice. And others actually are that bad, which to me is very teenager. I definitely disliked groups of people when I was younger without even giving them a chance. The whole judging a book by its cover. Which typically doesn't hold up when you're talking about actual books, because you definitely can judge a book by its cover a lot of the time. But probably not very true for people. And so I thought Donis was very well-rounded. Like, she was very scientific in her mind, and she got that from bonding with her uncle, who was a chemistry teacher. And she also really liked hockey, which she got from her father, who was a hockey player. So, of course, she'd want to then play hockey to follow in his footsteps because she wants to connect to him, which totally makes sense. I, I didn't really get this whole not like other girls thing. She just seemed like she was maybe not a typical girl in what we see in a lot of media types, but I also connected with her because I also didn't like to wear dresses when I was younger and still have moments where I don't really like to wear dresses, um, which was another thing that this critiquer said. It's like, oh, she doesn't like to wear dresses. She's so not like other girls. I mean, it's okay to not like dresses. It's okay to have characters who don't like dresses and they don't always have to be the not like other girls trope. So yeah, I liked Donis, and I thought she was well-written, and I thought she was well-rounded. I actually thought most of the characters in this book were fairly fleshed out, and there were bad characters that were, you know, supposed to be the bad guys, and there were good characters that had flaws. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a pretty good cast of characters. There are very few things that I didn't like about this book, but there were a few. I think the biggest thing is that sometimes Angeline didn't tell you what a word meant or explain other parts of the culture, which at first I thought that was okay. You shouldn't have to explain everything about your culture or translate every single word. I can certainly Google it myself, which I did. And it is always odd when a character says something in a non-English language and then translates it for someone who knows that non-English language. Um, or if she was constantly translating those words for us in the book, I could see that it would feel like the story keeps stopping for explanations. But then after a little bit, I noticed she began explaining more and more. So it took me a moment to figure out what those initial words meant, but then she began explaining other words later. This isn't really a critique since you should be able to pick and choose what words you want to explain and what you don't. It was just something I noticed that felt a bit inconsistent, perhaps. 
and maybe some of the initial words could have been explained while the other words in the middle weren't. Or it could be exactly the same, we just have to Google in the beginning, which maybe is better since I got to learn a little bit more about the try while looking for the translations, but teach their own maybe. It also kind of threw me at first that the book took place in the past. At first I wondered if this was a book that just kind of became popular years after being published. Certainly it wouldn't be the first time, but no, it was published in 2021. I definitely didn't mind it that it took place in 2004 since that was like my sophomore year of high school and it kind of took me back, but it did take a moment for me to realize it was just set in this time for not really a specific reason. There wasn't a jump to the present. It wasn't because there were certain events that were happening there that I could tell. Um, maybe it was a way for the author to write more authentically teen. I'm 32, but I couldn't tell you what 18 year olds are into right now. So maybe she felt the same and decided, write what you know is also about the year. Maybe she had kids who were that age in 2004 and was able to draw from that. Or maybe, like others have done before her, it was just a way to limit the technology. Who knows? It threw me at first, but once I knew it, it was not a big deal. Another thing that kind of bothered me was Donis's continued guy lies. It was a bit much for me. I don't want to be all hashtag not all men about it, but I also think it's important to not speak in such absolutes. I do think that when we're 18, we have some pretty cringy beliefs, and we don't always have the best perspective on things, and I can also understand that this pretty much all stems from the hurt she feels from her father. And while I wouldn't say a father cheating on your mother is necessarily enough to have the strict all-guys thought process, I do know that in Donis's case, it wasn't just about her father cheating on her mother, it was also about him turning his back on her about her not being enrolled in the tribe, about her feeling like she's missing out on a huge part of who she is because of his actions. And to further that, it was his sister, Donis's aunt, who brings her in and makes her feel like she at least has some connection with that part of her. So a woman was the one who stepped up to offer that in her life, while the man, her own father, was the one who denied it to her. And of course, this was then expanded upon by a former boyfriend who then became a cop. Someone she trusted, then betrayed her, and then betrayed her even further by becoming something she had very real reasons to not trust, a law enforcement officer. In a way, I kind of understand, but I also still, it didn't sit right with me. There's a good arc about it, and things come up, and she definitely grows, but it still kind of feels me leaving conflicted, but... All characters have flaws, and so maybe this is just hers. The final critique is more about the cover, and therefore the publisher. <laughs> the fake sticker for Reese's Book Club that is on it. Why? This cover is so gorgeous, and then they put a sticker you can't take off right on it that clashes with the color and the style. I hate the fake stickers. I also hate the real stickers, but at least those can come off. This is one that was just stuck there that's going to be there for all eternity. And I know this is a big thing in the book community, including hating on covers that have been updated to match movies or shows that have come out. I don't really have opinions on those, but the stickers, I hate them. 
I'd rather they redid the cover to show that it's going to be a movie or something than them just putting a sticker on saying soon to be a motion picture. I just, let's leave these covers to be covers without stickers and advertisements. Ugh. I know I'm not alone in thinking this, but I'll end my rant here. So would I recommend this book? I would 100% recommend it to any person who has eyes and or ears and can read or have it read to them or listen to an audiobook of it. Though maybe with a little bit of age restriction to that recommendation. In addition to everything, I would like to draw attention to the same organizations that Angeline did at the end of her book. She specifically mentions in her resources Strong Hearts Native Helpline. The phone number is one 844 native and their website is strongheartshelpline.org for American Indians and Alaskan Natives experiencing domestic, dating, and sexual violence. She also mentions National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. Their website is niwrc.org slash resource dash topic slash domestic dash violence. <laughs> uh, long URL, but I will also post a photo that has these links on my Facebook and Instagram. And of course, she mentions the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Their number is 1-800-273-8255, and their website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Violence against Native women is a problem, but nothing seems to ever be done. I was going to say something about donating the proceeds of this episode and matching it to the Strong Hearts Helpline, but that would be like at most two cents. So instead, I'll just be donating directly to them. Though this episode does somehow get a large listening, I will still donate the proceeds. And I also encourage you to do the same. If you don't know about Amazon Smile, it is a way to shop through Amazon and donate to a charity of your choosing with no extra cost to you. And Strong Hearts is one of those charities you can select. I've been using Amazon Smile to shop for years. Well, there you have it. Those are my thoughts on Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Pooley. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mixed Media Reviews, and you can also find me anywhere you find your podcasts. As long as that is Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, or Radio Public. Please join me next time where I will be reviewing a TV show, Avatar The Last Airbender. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye!